Hello, listeners, and welcome to a Roslindale edition of the Pulp Fiction podcast. Uh, sitting in brother Nick Young's living room. Uh, Nick, how are you doing? I'm great, Zach. <laughs> doing a little uh, little Friday NBA podcast action for y'all. Um, hope you enjoy it. Uh, Nick, let's get, uh, let's get right into it. Um, first thing I did when I showed up is I made Nick watch the OKC... Denver full game highlights because that was just one of the games of the year and you know, Paul George was out of his mind, Jamal Murray was out of his mind uh, you know, Jokic triple-double uh, and like a real triple-double like he's actually getting real rebounds not, you know, free-throw rebounds like Russell Westbrook um, and then Gary Harris, the game winner just an awesome game um, Nick, uh, what were your thoughts? Um, I mean, this is maybe one of the top three most entertaining games of the season thus far. I think uh, I was I was blown away by Paul George. I, I think I've kind of been a hater of his for the past year or so, I think. Just just thinking that he's a little overrated. Um, but he was fantastic. It seemed like every time um, Denver seemed like they were pulling out ahead, George came back and, and started firing OKC into the game. And I just got to say, I said to Zach midway through the, through the highlights, I said to you midway through the highlights that, like, um, I really think Jamal Murray could be an all-star next year. Like, his, his shot is that good. His offensive game is that good. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I mean, I, I don't have the stats in front of me, but he's a guy who has really the full package offensively. Um, kind of still working on, like, his passing out of, like, the, the pick and roll and passing kind of in general, but... Someone who can score from every point on the floor. He's got tight handle, can shoot off the dribble. Um, and a guy like the the Nuggets, like, love. Like, I think they were maybe in the Paul George sweepstakes or some sweepstakes, and they Jamal Murray was untouchable in all these trades. Um, which, you know, I, that's usually a good sign. Like, the Nuggets aren't, like, a crappy organization where, like, you know, like, Vivek might make Buddy Heald untouchable, but that's just because they're the kings. <laughs> and he's Vivek. <laughs> he's Vivek, and it just doesn't make any sense, but... Like if the Nuggets are making someone untouchable, I you know I'd put some weight in that, and uh, you know he's just really good. What I want to talk about with them, I mean obviously it's a great win. They're not going to make noise in this playoffs. Um, maybe they could give someone a scare, but the idea of them beating the Rockets or the Warriors in a playoff series is pretty out of the question. Um, but Nick, what do you think about this core long term? So they right now they have Millsap. <coughs> Excuse me. They have Millsap, who's injured and was not playing, but they're so they're rolling out like a Jokic, Wilson Chandler, Will Barton, Jamal Murray, Gary Harris lineup that I thought was really interesting, um, and that's basically their core minus Wilson Chandler. What uh, what do you think about that core? Well, I love Gary Harris and Jamal Murray as like the long term future at the at the guard positions. I love Jokic, obviously. I think that there's a real question for Jokic in terms of his defense and his rim protection. Like, I mean, we, we were watching that game. Like, Paul George would go right into the lane, yeah. right into Millsap, or right into Jokic's chest, and, like, up for an easy finish. So you just can't really have that from your, from your center unless you've got um, a four who can really play some, some rim-protecting D. Um, Serge Ibaka in his Thunder years is sort of like your classic example of that, although it's sort of easier said than done finding a piece like that. 
And it's not like Kenneth Fareed can really do that either. So I think that they're still kind of one piece short in that respect, unless Jokic can kind of pull himself together on D. But, I mean, who knows? Maybe they're just going to build themselves in the model of we'll race you to 120 every night and bank on the fact that most teams won't be able to catch them. So I, I, I think that that threesome is a great long-term core to build around. I really like Millsap. I had him on my fantasy team before his injury. Like, that's a guy who can give you a really steady, like, 15 to 20 points without taking a ton of shots, hold his own on defense, and be a working, like, passing part of an offense. So that's always a nice asset to kind of have and control. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so the Millsap signing, I loved when I read about it. Um, So I'm just thinking, you know... We all think of Millsap from his Hawks days as just like the perfect floor spacing big man. He inhales rebounds. Um, it's tough to rim protect from the four when other teams are playing a stretch four because I think this is part of why Abaka's lost so much of his value. You can't rim protect when you're not in the paint. So like if you're covering a three-point shooter, like if you're covering Ryan Anderson fucking at midcourt basically, there's no way you can help on any drives or any rebounds or anything. Um, but, you know, Millsap, great defender, kind of useful offensive piece. And it just really hasn't clicked for him on the Nuggets, in my opinion. Um, I mean, guys are getting their numbers and whatever, but, uh, you know, just kind of watching, watching that team play, it feels like so much of what made their offense devastating last year, and they were like the second best offense behind the Warriors, basically, after a certain point in the season, um, was, you know, Jokic, his passing... Everything Jokic did, um, all the shooting of guys like Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, who were better this year, and Gallinari at the four, um, who's you know basically got wing skills, and I think you saw that last night with Wilson Chandler at the four, who's basically a three. Um, so I still feel like, I mean, Millsap, as good as he can be offensively, is not someone who's just going to rip 40% of his threes, and that floor is a little more cramped with him out there. Um, and I think you're right, Nick. I think with this team in the future... They just are going to have to build around what Jokic is and what Jamal Murray is, and that's devastatingly good offensive talents. And they should just aim to be the top offense or top three every year and get the defense to a point where it's decent. Um, Jokic, you were totally right. It's not He's not a good defender. Like, Paul George was, like, bullying him out of the way to go to the rim, and Jokic, that should never happen uh, when you're that big. Um, so, you know, I, I think he needs to be a little more agile defensively, a little better positioned, but I would almost go the other way and try and get a four who's really good at guarding on the perimeter and try and build a team around the fact that I have great perimeter defenders and Jokic doesn't have to do much at the rim. Well, that would be ideal. I mean, Hey, if there's, if there's two great wings out there who can basically both play the three, um, and essentially go one, two, three, three, five. Yeah. Um, and just have some really fast, like six foot seven, six foot eight guys who are closing out and switching on screens. Like that would, that would make Jokic's life a whole lot easier. But yeah, I think those pieces are, you know, it's easier to, to, to fantasize than to actually find Absolutely. them sometimes. But you know, Paul George, a free agent this year. That's, I mean, I feel like he's going to either stay in OKC or go live in LA, but in theory, that's a good piece. Um, but that's. You know, 
that's what I feel like they're missing from being in this conversation. Because Jokic, Murray, and Harris are all going to keep getting better. Murray, in particular, could go up like six levels at you know at any point. And if he plays like he did last night, um, you know he's going to really be a useful piece for someone. Um, and like you said, I think All Star is totally in his reach. Um, but yeah, I mean they just need to kind of round out that team. And I don't love Malone. Malone gets some credit, but God, like I I ranted about this in my coaching article. Like, he tried to play Nurkic and Jokic together all the time, and then when it became clear he could only play one, he chose Nurkic for, like, four months, which is borderline fireable. And then this summer, they very stupidly signed Mason Plumley, which I didn't understand for a lot of money, and they've been shoehorning him and Jokic together, and it just makes no fucking sense. Um, so I don't, I don't know what they're doing um, with that, and I don't know why you would ever play those two together um so you know maybe this offense has another another level to get to even um because i mean good god there's no piece like jokic in the league yeah he's so cool no he's he's awesome i mean he's he's similar to mark gasol in some ways just in like a, a very big excellent passer with some great touch around the rim but <clears throat> i mean mark gasol was was a much better defensive player, but I would say Jokic has a way better shot and is um, probably more creative offensively. Definitely. Jokic is on the Ben Simmons level of passing. Like, yeah. he's he's really up there. Um, and even on that game winner that they hit, you know, the inbounds play was for Murray, who had the NBA Jam Flames going, <laughs> and Paul George just enveloped him. Mm-hmm. And they just couldn't get the ball to Jamal Murray. And Harris broke free... All the way at the other corner three from where they're inbounding. So, like, but totally behind the play. But when you're seven feet like Jokic, you can see that clearly. And he just, like, is just palming the ball and just, like, wings it over there and hits him in the shooter's pocket. And, like, that's the kind of play that, you know, seven, eight guys in the league can make. Yeah. And he's giving that to you while being a seven-footer. My, my favorite thing about Jokic, or one of my favorite things to watch him do, is he'll... He's got such a slow shot fake, but somehow he still gets people with it. <laughs> and the ball is up so high because of his shot fake. So he'll do this like slow motion shot fake and the ball will be over his head. And then from that position, he can basically put it on a dime anywhere in the, across the court. So he'll be at the top of the key, like in the shooter's position, and then just flick the ball over his head and it'll appear like right at the rim for somebody to lay it in in the corner for somebody to shoot it, you know, a curling guy at the elbow could get it. Like, I, I just, I love watching it because it's, it's such like YMCA basketball kind of, kind of a move, but somehow just, he makes it look effortless. Yeah, we were talking about this when we were watching the highlights. He's like, he's like kind of oafish. Like, yeah. he's like really <laughs> big and like kind of lumbering and like, I don't think he's fat anymore, but you can tell that he was fat because he's kind of like a little doughyish. Yeah, and he's—I mean, he's not Raven Felton, but he's like a little fat. And he's, <laughs> and he's like—you yeah. watch him kind of maneuver, and it kind of looks like semi-uncoordinated. And then there's just these gorgeous like passes, gorgeous plays. Yeah, and it's kind of really fun to watch and like probably disorienting for a defender. <laughs> like <laughs> you just see like this limb going this way. Yeah, it's almost like I feel the same way about Gronk when he runs. Like, Gronk, after the catch, is a great player and breaks a ton of tackles, but I always feel like he's, like, semi-out of control and his limbs are going in every direction. Um, but anyway, 
I, I really like this core. I they need something. I don't know what it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think um and you know, like we were saying, like with, with like a fast athletic wing, you know, that's that's Wilson Chandler. I mean, so theoretically they already have a piece. I mean, Barton as well, fast athletic wing. And yet here they are, they're sitting in the eighth you know, the eighth spot in the West. Now I think the Pelicans are probably gonna move down. Yeah. Although, I mean we'll I think we'll talk the Miritich implications a little later. Maybe you know, maybe they can hang on a bit, but um, the Jazz are way out of playoff contention. The Clip are going to slide. So the Nuggets are looking like they're decently safe in the playoffs, knock on wood for them. But, you know, all the same, like, with this core, they should be better. They should. I mean, they should. They're young. I think this is Jamal Murray's, what, third year in the league? Second? Something like that. Um, I can get it. I think it's his third. Uh... But yeah, I mean, you know, these guys are all young. I think mm-hmm. this is, I think it's Jokic's like third year, like second year really getting big minutes as the starter. Um, so, you know, it's, they have a lot of room to grow. They're a very exciting team. I would love, they're, they're in the stage right now, almost like, turn the past corollary. So this is his, this is Murray's second year. It's only league. his second year. Yeah. Wow. He was, he was drafted in 2016. You want to, you want to hear something funny? What? He... Uh, he was born February twenty third, nineteen ninety seven. So five days before our dear brother Dan. Oh my God! People in the league are so young. <laughs> yeah, I just feel so useless. <laughs> yeah. Um, bonus point, you know, he's Canadian too, Jamal Murray. Yeah, I knew that. I'm I'm big on Canada right now because yeah, they're coming. Uh, up. Dude, R. J. Barrett. Mm-hmm. He's the number one recruit uh, going into college next year. I, I fell in love with this game already. I was watching his highlights. Team Canada beat Team USA in like an under 18 thing. And it was just because Barrett hero balled and wow. dropped like 45. That's awesome. He looks like um, he looks like if Markel Fultz was like really confident and could shoot really well. <laughs> <laughs> so basically pre-draft Markel Fultz. <laughs> he looks like Sixers wet dream Markel Fultz. Mm. Um, mm. We should talk to you about OKC. So, I mean, I don't want to talk too much about them. I do think they've come together really nicely. I think they realized how to delegate between Westbrook and George. Um, I think Westbrook deserves some credit because he, like, we all want him to pass the ball more, and obviously he couldn't play like he did last year. We want to know what his stat line was last night. It was 20, 21, and 9, right? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Unbelievable. So... That's the Westbrook I I want, but he has to do that while being himself. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't want Westbrook trying to, like, pick passes like he's Chris Paul because that's a waste of him. I want him barreling to the rim recklessly because that's what he does. Mm-hmm. I want him taking those pull-up jump shots. I just want to cut, like, six of his crappiest pull-up jump shots and add, you know, six or seven more kicks to Paul George when he's got a good matchup. Mm-hmm. And they're building a nice chemistry together. Mello has realized he's just Ryan Anderson with, you know, a better pass career, which is great for their team. And Steven Adams is just incredible, Um, even though Murray uh, took him dancing with the stars, as Reggie Miller said on the broadcast. That was funny. But, yeah, I mean, I love that core, um, the way they're playing right now. And, you know, 
just because their stars are so good, and I think they will have, you know, in the playoffs when the game really bogs down, they have guys that can just go up a level. Um, I think they're a really interesting playoff team. And they defend really well. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, I mean, the, the guys on their bench, like, you know, obviously Roberson going down is really sad. Um, you never like to see that. But I do like, you know, Abrines, Alex Abrines. I think he's a, you know, reliable shot, can defend his own position kind of guy. Jeremy Grant. Yeah. Um, he can kind of come and go, but very athletic, can definitely defend. And then our personal hero. Fat Raymond Felton. <laughs> Fat Raymond. Raymond, I was pointing this out to Nick on the telecast. Raymond's, like, observably fat on, like, a tiny computer screen, like, running a pick and roll. Yeah. He, like, he like waddles, and his, his jersey, like, you can see it. Like, it kind of, like, bells out around his gut. Yeah, he's got, he's got a legit tire around his belly. <laughs> it's just, like, it's like you're getting paid, like, $9 million or whatever. It's just incredible. And he's not like a big like if it was like a center at least I could be like oh you know you taking up space like you know like a big dude he's a fucking five <laughs> ten point guard there's just there's no excuse yeah I I couldn't imagine getting scored on by him in the league I mean don't like don't they practice yeah. like what is he like mainlining Krispy Kreme <laughs> well if they're if they're How? like the Cavs and they won't be practicing yeah, maybe but. he just goes to shoot around and then yeah. Raymond Felton's the kind of guy, he's the kind of guy that drinks a couple of craft beers with his pizza. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking he, he, uh, he, you know, may drink a couple, couple Cokes, maybe like have a Dr. Pepper or something with his, uh, you know, with his movie theater popcorn. It's just incredible to me. But yeah, I mean, they, I mean, as always, their bench is crappy. I, I feel like the Robertson injury really helps them. Mm-hmm. Um, because he was just like, he could not shoot dribble or pass. And it, it's even worse than guys like other guys who can't shoot dribble or pass because like he was like rattled about the fact he couldn't shoot dribble or pass and would like fling the ball to someone else, even when he was open or like crap away the ball or just hot potato it back to someone. Um, and I feel bad for the guy, but he really is him going down unlocks their team. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that more minutes for guys who can who can shoot or, you know, slash, like, just be involved on offense is, is never a bad thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I want to talk sort of playoff seeding type stuff. Because deceptively, you know, there's only, what, like 30 games left in the regular season? Something like that, yeah. Um, spots aren't going to move that much. Right now the Spurs are kind of a hair ahead of OKC and the Timberwolves. Um of those three, Nick, do you – so I'll say it this way first. Who gets the three seed? One. And then two, of the two teams that go four or five, who do you pick in the playoff series? Okay. Well, I'll say this. I'm, I'm a Spurs believer. Get in the while you talk. Yeah, please. And I might just be in absolute denial over their prospects. I think that this Kawhi news – like is just a morale killer, and I think like we can we can talk at length about the Kawhi situation. Um, Let's do it now. Okay. Put a pin in my uh, my question. What the fuck? Yeah, I mean, I saw I saw a great tweet. Um, the network one that I mentioned on the podcast. Maybe 
Was it the one about um, red if, wedding level? No, no, no. no. It, it's like if you had if you had gone back in time and said that Kawhi was going to be the problem child of the pop era, like the odds on that would have been astronomical. That's yeah. like that's like a six hundred to one. Like quiet is not the same as happy. Yes, very important point. So like, you know, and I saw Jalen Rose like talking about this. Like, you know, nobody, none of the big name free agents ever want to go to the Spurs. Why is that? And, like, Jalen's Jalen's theory is that it's because, like, nobody really wants to work that hard. Um, I buy that. <laughs> and that Kawhi's not an active recruiter, which I also buy. Um, but, like, I... All, and, like, you always have to kind of ask yourself with these situations. Like, somebody leaks this to the media. This yeah. isn't, this isn't like, you know, they have a wiretap, you know... No, someone in Kawhi's camp said that yeah a la a bad or sick guy but you know um shouts out to number 45 but <laughs> <laughs> but like you know well somebody's doing the wiretap <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly uh, yeah. but like so so somebody in Kawhi's camp is leaking that and and you know when you're kind of like going like reverse engineering why that would happen you're you're left with very limited things like one he he truly is unhappy and wants to get out or like B he wants to get something out of the management that he's not getting currently and needs that leverage or something. So I, I don't think that, that like Kawhi's time in San Antonio is done far from it. I mean like this, this LaMarcus Aldridge stuff that came out is very interesting. Like LaMarcus Aldridge was super unhappy in San Antonio, you know, was thinking about getting traded. They were thinking about trading him and like, you know, he and Pop, like, had a series of heart-to-hearts, and now he's, like, I'm a spur for life, basically. So I, I think that this Kawhi situation will get worked out. I think that, like, he has a very strange injury. And I think that the Spurs medical team, you know, probably misdiagnosed or at least, like, did not, um, like, did not help that situation. Yeah, I mean, they... they... They pretty clearly don't know what's going on. I mean, we talked earlier. I caught him in person, or not in person. I caught him live on TV when in one of those games he played back, and I was like, he looks a step slow. Mm-hmm. I was like, it looks like something's a little off, and you know, they shut him back down again. I agree with you. I think it's just, I think he just wants his tummy rubbed a little bit. I think he's frustrated that a everyone on their team is either old or washed up or bad. Um, False, but okay. All right. I'll rephrase that. Everyone on their team is either old or worse than they have been in their career or an extremely unheralded prospect that they've turned into a decent player but did not does not have the same ceiling as anyone else. Like, you should not be like... Like someone like Bryn Forbes, right? That's like an undrafted free agent. They're just like... it's Kawhi is tired of playing with a bunch of guys that the Spurs took off the scrap heap. Um, I think he's frustrated about the injury. And, you know, I think he's... I bet there's a part of him that's a little like, I was quiet, I did my job, you know, I was a very loyal soldier, I've been excellent for you. And LaMarcus has bitched and moaned, and then we just changed the offense to suit him because he bitched and moaned. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um... I just I think Kawhi would love to play with some better people. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I think that there 
there, it's another, sorry, it's another example of the Warriors just kind of psyching people out. Like, if this was even four years ago, there's a lot less pressure on someone like Kawhi to be like, you know, this team isn't good enough. But there's, the Warriors are so good that everyone else is quaking. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I'm, I'm definitely an apologist for some of the people on this roster. Like, I, I believe really strongly in Duante Murray. Duante. People say it different ways. I, I believe very, very David strongly. David Nwambo. <laughs> I said Nwambo, and it actually is Nwaba. So David Nwambo. I did not say it like that. That's how you heard it. Um, I think Kyle Anderson is great. I think that Bertans can be good. Um, like, Danny Green is fine. Like... Like, you're right, they're old. Like, they definitely are relying on a lot from Manu, Tony, and Danny, and Pau, which is unnecessary. But, like, there's also a lot of great pieces on this team. Like, if you take Murray, Kyle Anderson, LaMarcus, Kawhi, you're one good starter away from, you know, really making a... Well, basically being the second-best team in the West and pushing Golden State. Add LeBron to that which is the master plan. It's just never going to happen. Well, you know, I, I will tell you. There you know, was a, you know why uh, free agents don't go to San Antonio? Why? Because they don't want to... Everyone loves the, like having the image of like sacrificing their role to help the team. And I'm not calling people out for this because it's a very natural emotion when you're an athlete to want to have a big role. But... People don't want to go there because they don't want to have their role minimalized. They don't want to sacrifice that. If LeBron goes there, it's not about LeBron. It's about the Spurs. And I and I think honestly, I think and this is this is something that that we've that we've talked about a lot. I think LeBron that might be refreshing, honestly. After all of this time, uh, with all of this media scrutiny, being a part of something might be refreshing. And oh, by the way, there's a report out yesterday that talks about LeBron expressing interest in taking a summer meeting with the Spurs. He'll take the meeting. Oh, I he'll mean, definitely take the meeting. If but. He'll take... I mean, he's going to pick the team that he thinks gives him the best chance at winning. And if the Rockets he sours on, or they can't get out of that Ryan Anderson contract, and they like literally can't max him, because I think he's he's been pretty open about he wants a max. Um... You know, that's that's in play. It, I don't think you're giving enough credit to the fact that the Spurs offense in particular is awful. I mean, I don't know if I'd say that. Like, if you look at their efficiency, I mean, they're bottom half of the league. Which is crazy to think about, you know, because you always, you think of the Spurs getting this beautiful ball movement offense, but... In the past couple years, Pops had to retrograde that offense, A, to suit LaMarcus Aldridge's dated skill set, and B, because they just don't have creative players. Like, you look at Tony and Manu, those guys were excellent at creating for others. And on their team right now, that's not something Kawhi can do. It's probably the only thing he can't do at this point. Um, It's not something LaMarcus can do. Murray, I love as a prospect. I'm a huge believer in his long term, but he still has a ways to go, and that's not the guy who's going to be doing that for you in a playoff series. Um, 
Parker and Manu are in the stage of their careers where they're 16-minute-a-game guys. Um, and they can't, it can't be like, all right, Tony Parker, you got to break down Russell Westbrook off the dribble. Like, this is not, yeah, no, that's no not way. where we're at right now. Um, so like, you know, who's dribbling? Like, who's setting this up? Patty Mills? All you can do is shoot. There's, there's no one, they lack creative players. And Kyle Anderson is creative, but he's also slower than me. <laughs> and, you know, if you told me Kyle Anderson was going to be point guard, you know, there'd probably be more creativity, but... That's not going to work. You know what I mean? It barely worked at UCLA against college athleticism. So I I am very concerned about their offense, particularly in the playoff series. And if you look at that Spurs-Rockets game, it's not like the Rockets won 130-110. They held the Spurs to 90 points. Yeah, they were bad. They were really bad. That was my that was my takeaway watching it. Like, um, it just seemed like people were missing shots, like... The ball movement wasn't great. I thought that Pow was just, like, completely a zero. He's been washed for five years. Yeah. I was on this corner when he was in Chicago. Yeah, they're, they're just getting fumes off of him, which is, which is tough. So, like, but I think that right now they're in a little bit of, like, an existential crisis mode because, you know, this Kawhi stuff, like, not really knowing what the, what the future's going to hold. Like, um, you know, I think there's a real question for them whether it's smart to, like, shut it down and and sort of like really focus on developing talent or keep being the Spurs and keep running. And my guess is that they're going to keep being the Spurs. They're going to, you know, find a way to pull it together. And to get back to your earlier question, I think that they will get this three seed. Um, yeah, they've got, I'm looking at things right now. They've got a, they got a one and a half game lead on the Timberwolves. Yeah. And a, call it three-game lead over the Thunder. And I just, and you know, it's interesting that like those, those, that we're looking at those three together. I just think of like the Thunder and the Timberwolves as being too inconsistent to really just win all of those games. Like, I think that what makes the Spurs the Spurs Mm -hmm. is that they just put in a good performance on almost every night. And I think that that Houston game, and you know, this is, this speaks to Houston a lot. I think that it was so obvious that Houston was the better team. They just, they just kind of broke their will. Like the beginning of the game was Ryan Anderson hitting three consecutive threes. Yeah. And like, I think that the life kind of flew out of the building and, you know, that's just one of those like, you know, gut punch games. But like, I do think that they will recover because that's who they are. And, um, I think that like they, they got hit with a bad news cycle. They got, you know, there's a little bit of dread going on, but then there's also like I think they're going to look around the room and realize that like, hey, wait a second, we were number three in the West all of this time without Kawhi. There's no reason why we can't keep doing it. And like, you know, Rudy Gay will come back eventually. Like that'll help. Um, you know, like I'm not I'm not even going to count on Kawhi. Just imagining he won't be there. I mean, Patty Mills has been very inconsistent. I think he'll round into form. I think you know, they fall to the four seed. I and think then at who's least gonna take the I three? think it it's tough to say, but I'm not betting on both OKC and the T Wolves to to go cold. One of them's gonna stay hot. Um, the T Wolves have been without Jimmy Butler for a, for a couple games. When he gets back, he may already be back, but he's back. Um, you know, and they'll you know they'll be consistent with Jimmy Butler in the lineup. Um, OKC looks really really good. Um, I was really impressed with them. 
going down 20 in Denver is like going down 30 everywhere else because you're all like altituded out and like dehydrated. Um, so for them to roar back like that was really impressive. And I'll say, I'll probably bet on OKC. Ah, I'm going to bet on the T-Wolves to jump them. Uh, something changed in the, in the T-Wolves. Um, and something clicked, but they've been a decent defense since about midway into the season. Um, and a lot of it is Towns. Towns always had the physical tools to be a great defender and was just making inexplicable decisions. And he just kind of stopped doing that. And he started really giving a shit on defense. And I think they're really, they've become Jimmy Butler's team and they're taking that ethos where everyone works their fucking ass off. And that's the Tom Thibodeau ethos also. And they're, they're a team that no one wants to play in a playoff series because they will grind you and put you in uncomfortable spots and really fuck with you. And they have game-breaking talent in Carl Anthony Towns. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, I was going to write a piece actually on them. It, it kind of flamed out. But I was going to write about how they're the third best offense in the league. And we talk about NBA offenses as being these pace and space, fling a bunch of threes, get to the rim, um, the death of the post up, the death of the big man, got to play a stretch four, all that shit. And the third best offense in the league runs out Towns and Gibson, who are both big men, um, Wiggins and Butler, who don't really have consistent three-point shots, and Jeff Teague, who doesn't have a consistent three-point shot. And, you know, I pulled three-point attempt stats. I pulled efficiency stats. I'm like, how the fuck are they an efficient offense? They don't take a ton of threes, but they do get to the rim a lot. They get to the line a lot. And Towns and Butler, because they do those two, are two of the most efficient scorers in the league. Um, Wiggins is not. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, but and but they they basically do... They get to the line a ton, which is the most efficient thing you can do. You get to the rim a ton. They also, like, score efficiently from inefficient areas. Mm-hmm. So, like, Jimmy Butler is a great mid-range shooter. Um, well, this is, this is something that I... Taj I, Gibson is a great post-up player. Let, like... We should we should talk about this for a second because I think it's really interesting. And this is also something that the Spurs do, which I really appreciate, is that they're reviving the mid-range game a little bit. And I think that the reason for that is that because of the it, – it's, it's, you know, the pendulum kind of coming back a little bit. And, you know, Haralabob, like, talks about how, like, you know, the, the NBA has figured out offense yeah. in this pace and space is the most efficient thing to possibly do. And, like, maybe – you know, in a pure, like, where to space the floor for the most, like, statistically relevant stuff that might be true. But I think that that's sort of forgetting, like, the element of there being another team. Exactly. Like, when defenses are are guarding the three intentionally and closing out the way they do and playing the way they do with, like, this sort of, like, um, on a rope to to the weak side thing or to the strong side, like, that opens up space in the mid range. So, like, even if it's not a quote-unquote efficient shot, if it's not well defended, it will be a good shot. Yeah, there's... It's it's classic athletics game theory. The other team is taking away the three-point line and the rim. We saw this in that Spurs-Rocket series. That's basically all the Spurs did. They guarded the rim, they guarded the three-point line. They're like, we know you hate mid-rangers, go take them. And the Rockets either took contested shots, which made them inefficient. They scored very inefficiently in that series. 
or they were taking shots they weren't comfortable with. And Maury's smart. He went out and got the best mid-range shooter, you know, of the past 15 years in Chris Paul. Um, so you're totally right. If a defense is geared towards stopping the three-point line and you're taking a wide-open two and you make that over half the time, that's going to be more efficient than hucking contested threes. Mm-hmm. And getting to the line, it's something all prolific scorers do. Um, Harden is the king of that. Yeah. He'll get to the line like 10 times a game. Jimmy Butler is like usually second or third in the league in free throw attempts. Um, that's his whole means of efficiency. Um, so anyway, to loop it back to this question that was asked 20 minutes ago. Yep. I have the T-Wolves, the three. I have the Spurs, OKC, four, five. I would also buy OKC jumping the Spurs. I just think the Spurs are out of talent, dude. It, the, the league is not set up where you're supposed to be excellent for 25 years unless you can keep signing free agents. Mm-hmm. The fact that they've been this good for this long while not being a free agent destination is insane. And at a certain point, you get unlucky. And you get a situation where you sign a free agent who's not that good in LaMarcus. You don't think he's good? Well, this is the thing I actually want to talk about. I would say he's a properly paid max player. Yeah. Or perhaps slightly overpaid. Like, there are max guys... He's a max guy. There's max guys like like a Davis, like a Curry, like a Durant, even though Durant's not on a max, that mm-hmm. paying them the max is still a deal. Like, it's yeah. still, like, hardened. Like, you're still getting a good deal to have that guy on a max. Yes. There's also guys like John Wall, um, who are definitely max guys. Damian Lillard, it's a max guy. But it's not a deal for me to pay you a max. It's yeah. it's your market rate. Mm-hmm. So they're not getting a deal by having Marcus Aldridge. They're getting a deal by having Kawhi when and if he's a hundred percent again. Yeah. Um, and then everyone else is just like young or not that good. And you can sing the praises of Kyle Anderson and Bryn Forbes all you want, but when they're going to war against Westbrook, George, Anthony Adams. And none of them have the talent level of those guys, save for Kawhi. That's tough. When they're going to war against Carl Anthony Towns, and they're going to throw Powell out there. They're going to throw who's their who's their backup center? Uh, they're going to throw Lamarcus at him. Maybe Burton's. Burton's. Yeah, it, it's they just lack they lack offensive creativity and they lack talent. Yeah, I mean. So I have them out in round one. You have them out in round one? If Kawhi is 100%, he can take this team up two levels, and I'd pick them over either of these teams. I don't think that's happening. You don't think he's going to be 100% by no. Uh, no. by uh, the playoffs? I don't. Hmm. Well, I'm on the other side of that. I think, uh, I think with or without Kawhi, they can hang on to the three. I think without Kawhi, I don't know if they... Escape round one, um, yeah. But let's uh, uh, let's shift gears a bit. Yeah. I want to I want to talk very briefly about the Rockets, just to say I want I want you to answer for something. Okay. <laughs> Harden, I would argue, is the clear MVP front runner and should be no doubt. Um, the Chris Paul Harden combo works extremely well together. Yep, their role player signings have all fit the roster very nicely, and they're yes. a very dangerous team. Indeed, indeed, okay. all the above. Check, check, check. I gave you an out like two months ago, and you were like, "Chris Paul is overrated." Well, <laughs> like, I, this team sucks. Well, like, you're at the strike, and Bob Mute and Tucker <laughs> being good signings from your record. Uh, I don't know. 
I well, I mean, I don't think like PJ Tucker is anything special still, and I'm not convinced that like, well, we'll we'll see if Luke Mbamute has his moment in the playoffs. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think that I think that like what I didn't appreciate very stupidly is that Harden was the MVP last year. He's a transcendent player. And when you add a very, very good player to a team with a transcendent player, they don't get worse. So, like, I think that that was some, some, poor, uh, some poor calculus in my brain. Yeah. I think the key part, dude, is it's fatigue-related. And they haven't been guarding minutes as much as I want them to, and I swear to God if Harden runs down... Because D'Antoni, D'Antoni will say Harden ran down last year. Yeah. If the Harden looks slow in the playoffs, I'm writing an angry letter to D'Antoni. <laughs> they have no yeah. reason to be playing him 40 minutes a game. But anyway, it's not just the minutes. It's every single play last year, Harden was running a sprint pick and roll. Mm-hmm. Every time. Now, Paul does it like 40% of the time for him. And Harden gets to chill off ball and get those nice wide open shots. That's huge. And... You know, when we bet on the Spurs to win that game, it was because we thought Harden was fatigued. Um, so I, I don't think that'll happen this year. But anyway, let's talk... Uh, oh, I want to make one point about the Rockets in the playoffs. Okay. I think they're a very sexy going to the finals, giving Golden State a, a run for their money pick. Mm-hmm. And I agree. But part of the reason Daryl put this team together was to up their risk profile. It's basically what he said. He wanted to increase the chance that they play a series well enough to beat the Warriors. And to do that, he was like, I want to take a ton of threes. That's a high-variant shot, right? You're hot from three, you can win the game against anybody. Mm -hmm. But variance is a double-edged sword. (laughs) And they can go cold from three. Yep. Like, if if Ariza and Anderson just shoot 20% from three in a series, which could totally happen, in a round two series against... The Spurs with Kawhi against the T-Wolves against OKC, that's 100% losable for them. Yep. And I mean, let's not forget, too, that, like, I know that, that Chris Paul has been playing really well, all that, but, like, the dude is is over 30, he's missing a meniscus, and, you know, the playoffs, the intensity goes up, the physicality goes up, that's a lot of miles. Like, and also, let's... Let's not forget, Chris Paul has never been to the Western Conference Finals, so I think that uh, it's just it's just there's a lot riding on CP3. I think, and it very easily could go the other way. Yeah, I um, I feel like the the CP3 playoff hate isn't fair because one of the best performances I ever saw live in a playoff series was what he did in Game 7 to beat the Spurs in that opening round series. Um, they still crapped away the Rockets game, the Rockets series next round. but That I, was the worst like the worst playoff collapse it, maybe I've seen. Josh Smith and Corey Brewer were canning threes. Like, what are the chances? Yeah, but like, how can you lose to Josh Smith? Dude, those are... Like, I... Not knowing how it ends, you would probably still concede all those shots. Mathematically. Probably. Um, but let's let's jump from them. I want to hit... You want to do... Let's do um, very quickly the Wizards Without Wall 
and the Bulls, because I wanted to spend some time talking about LeBron in the summer. Okay. What? So the Wizards lose John Wall for eight weeks, basically, or whatever it's going to be. Yep. They're about to play a bunch of good teams. I bring up the fact that I'm divested from them, whatever. <laughs> they, they won both their past games. Yep. Against OKC and against the Raptors um, without Wall. And... That's not something people expected. I gambled against them and lost in the, in the OKC game. Um, Nick, does that make any sense to you? I mean, there is there is that theory that that your competitor, um, who is the CEO oh, of the, the Ringer, is, is is fond of bringing up yeah the Ewing theory that like I think that there is sort of a psychological like bounce back resiliency factor to when somebody who like is definitely a huge part of the team, but also like there's a lot of whispers out there that there's some, there's some tension in that locker room that like John wall is, you know, a little bit divisive. Like, yeah, he called out a, he called out JJ Brea and Brea's like, yeah, I have someone I hate now. He's like, I don't think his teammates like him either. And just, you get just, crickets from the Wizards teammates. Yeah. There's like it's tough. It's <laughs> it's really tough. So like and also like the thing about John Wall that people forget is that he was the absolute best player of my year like in school. You always bring this up. Well, it's cuz it's cuz we're linked and I can't I can't forget that. But like he was like a chosen one for his entire life and he was, you know, the first big recruit at Kentucky. Like when Calipari went there, first overall pick, you know, the chosen son of DC. Like, I think that it's impossible for his ego to have not gotten huge. So I think that like when the team turns to Beal and Otto Porter, who are much more efficient players. Correct. You know, and and they're really like spreading the ball and like they don't have to worry about John Wall. I think that there is like a little bit of a sense of relief there. So, yeah, I mean, I think that it, it it should have made more sense to me when he went down that they wouldn't be terrible. That said, I think this team still has a very low ceiling because of Scotty Brooks, who I will continue to say should have been fired on the tarmac, um, on the tarmac after Game 7 <laughs> in Boston last yeah, year. He got, he got worked over. So I I think there's a lot of factors at play right now. I totally buy this, like, Wall is a weird chemistry guy. Um, I mean, him and Boogie are best friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very strange. Um, I, so, basically, the ball has been put in Bradley Beal's hands a ton more. And Beal, Beal looks a lot like the ideal facilitator for an NBA team. He's someone who is a deadly shooter at any point in the floor at any time and gets the Curry treatment. And when you get the Curry treatment... Everyone else is that much more open. It's more looks for Otto Porter, who I love, and he he gives you 14 points a game, but he does it extremely efficiently. And if he gets force-fed some more shots and can keep that efficiency, that's an awesome player to have. Um, we thought the problem with this team, or the, most people say the problem with this team is their their front line and their bench, which is a huge problem. The fact that Jan Mahindi makes $16 million a year, like, what the fuck were they thinking? Because they couldn't have thought he could play with Gortat, 
Yeah. No way. Did they just think Mahimi was their backup? They're like, f- oh, fucking idiots is what they like, are. Like, if you're gonna, if your plan is to pay a backup center sixteen million, they must have thought the cap was gonna go to two hundred million dollars. Yeah, that, like, it's insane. Were they? I don't even know if they were doing math. Maybe they were, <laughs> like, an agent like was like, I'll steer this guy to you or something. Um, but whatever. That's a huge problem. Also, problem they, and why I divested from them, they don't carry themselves in general. With a lot of effort and hunger. They kind of carry themselves like they're the shit and they've been there before. You see them like call out LeBron and it's like, you haven't done shit. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> like you've won like two playoff series and never in a row. You haven't been to a conference finals. Like they're, they look like the Warriors in terms of like, oh, let's just coast this regular season. We'll be fine in the playoffs. Like you need to get better. <laughs> so I think they yeah. are playing harder. I think they're like, we need to rally around this, yeah. um, which Can is I- cool. Can I give you a, a nugget from Zach Lowe? Yeah. Um, Wall hasn't looked right all year. He spent 76% of the season either walking or standing on the court, which makes him the most lethargic rotation player remember this piece. in the NBA. Yeah. So that's, that's insane. That's an insane little nugget right there. And he's been hurt this whole year. Yeah. I mean, no doubt he's been hurt. But still. And, I, then, and then there's this... Nice little Bradley Beal quote from Thursday night. Everybody eats, Bradley Beal said. Everybody eats. That's our motto, man. Everybody eats when we move the ball. So, like, that's a little bit of weird shade that's going towards John Wall because what he's basically saying is, like, hey, the ball movement was good and people are happy and we're getting shit done. Um, And it's all sort of against this backdrop of John Wall, like, not being there. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... That's a good. That's a good quote. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's not great for John Wall. I feel bad for the guy. He's always playing hurt. Yeah. And, you know, last year was kind of the first time he was healthy in a really long time, and of course they played him forty-four minutes a game in the playoffs. But unbelievable. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, Wall's sitting on a forty million dollar a year contract. If he never gets healthy, he's not a guy you you want. For $40 million. No. <laughs> um, healthy John Wall, as, you know, basically like almost as fast as Russell Westbrook John Wall, which is his healthy, ecstatic to have him. Um, and I think there's a way to build a really good offense around him, Beal, Porter, and a semi-decent center. And Wall would be shooting like 10 to 12 times a game in that offense. Yeah. What they end up doing is a semi-hurt Wall shoots a ton of mid-rangers and crappy threes. Beal and Porter don't get the ball as much as I'd like them to, and the team suffers. Yeah, and and once again, I will say that the person who should have been fired on the tarmac <laughs> after Game 7 uh, is looking pretty shitty once again. Yeah, I mean, he went... I put him pretty high on my coach rankings because player development. Everyone yeah. gets better when he's the coach. True, no doubt. Which is awesome, but you then don't want him around when it's game time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. Alright, let's uh let's bop on the Bulls. Alright. So they I don't want to talk too much about them. Um except to just mention David Nwamba again. <laughs> <laughs> but um the Bulls flipped Miritich and a second round pick for ASIC a and a protected first. So it, it, it's top five protected this year and then like a bunch of top eights and then it turns into a second round pick if it never conveys. But that means we're going to get it this year. Yeah. Because there's unless, no way they're going to Unless they win the lottery. 
they're not going to be in the top five. Um, but yeah, so basically, you and I, I'll, I'll give my take first. Sure. I was a, Miritich had to go. Yeah. It was absolutely the right time to sell him. Good move on the front office to make that decision. They, there could have been some inkling to keep him and see what they could do with this weirdo roster, but at the end of the day, that roster overachieved for 20 games and then went back to being weird and not that good. Um, and most importantly, Miritich is a four. He can't play the three, he can't play the five. Markinen is a four. Maybe he'll have the five someday in his career, but he's a four. And Poppy Portis, who everyone celebrates them for, is a four. Maybe he can play some five if he learns a lot about that, or you just want to play a no defense five, but he's a four. You can't have three fours. Miritich had to go. Um, so I'm glad they sold him. I don't feel like they had to put the second round pick in the deal. I think they just did it because New Orleans got cold feet because they didn't want Miritich's contract guaranteed, and then that was kind of the condition for guaranteeing the contract. I feel like the Bulls just lob in second round picks like they're fucking dropping bills at a strip club. Like yeah. They just don't care. They're just like, <laughs> we. It's like... It's like yeah. they're rebuilding. They sell a second-round pick for $3 million so that the owner can spend it on the White Sox. And yeah. <laughs> they're just like, oh, a second trade we want to do? Send yeah. it. A second-round pick who's, who's turned out awesome and is now a part of the Golden State Warriors rotation. The team that's going to be playing, that's in all likelihood going to be playing for the championship, uses the second-round pick that we sold for cash in their rotation. He started for them. Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> It's it's Jordan Bell would be our criminal. second best prospect, second or third best yeah, prospect. Yeah, behind Markinen and Dunn. Uh, Markinen and Dunn, Levine. He's well, on the Dunn level for me. Yeah. Jordan Bell? Yeah. Yeah, he's somewhere around there. Um, yeah, anyway, just embarrassing. Uh, I mean, what, what I'll say about the Bulls is that with the Miritich move, Markinen and Dunn and Levine's development... It's getting to that point where, like, you know, I would compare it to, like, having had a really horrible fight with with a girlfriend and breaking up, and then, like, you know, a little while later, you're, like, seeing her pictures on Facebook or whatever, and you're you're thinking about (laughs) it. You're like, oh, man, maybe I'm ready to do this again. And, like, you know, I'll confess, I got a Bulls hat. I think that their (laughs) logo looks nice. I like wearing it on my head. So, like... I'm getting to that point where I'm like ready to start watching the Bulls again, but it I'm not quite there yet because <laughs> I mean they it's like you said like they're still throwing around second round picks like like they're like it's candy and <laughs> and there's no indication from this ownership group or from like really even the GM that who we've talked about a lot of, at length Garpax that like that they're serious about actually trying to turn this team into a contender. So yeah, I mean, they, so they took back some salary in the ASIC deal. Um, I think Simmons had a tweet about it where he's like, what? Like, you just <laughs> sold the second round pick for $3 million. I think they were still below the salary floor. So, like, I, yeah. it's fine for them to take back more money because literally if they didn't take back more money, they'd just have to pay it to, like, the Jerry and Grants and whatever's David Wumba's on the team. <laughs> but, but... So I'm a fan of this deal. I'm really happy we got into the first round. It's a good move for them. Um, I also would love to see Robin Lopez find a new home. Yes. I think this is absolutely the year to suck 
get I mean, being seventh and being third worst, there's not a huge difference. Yeah. Um, in terms of lottery odds, it's maybe give or take four or five percent. So let's, you know, get as many balls as we can, send people out, bring in some picks, and try and give this thing a real go. I mean, part of me thinks that maybe the GAR packs are decent and it's just really shitty ownership decisions being forced on them. Like, selling the second round pick is the owner's fault. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no way the GM wants to not have a draft pick. True. Um, you know, it's shit like that. And I don't know. I mean, I, 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 feel, I feel angry at them for a couple of things, like the Doug McDermott draft selection, which was criminal. I'm upset about still. They flipped Gary Harris and Nurkic for him. Yeah. It's just like, <laughs> we're both so much better. Yeah. That's, 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 that's a fireable offense right there. I feel, like, I feel like that should be on a billboard, you know, in Chicago. Like, I think they got excited because McDermott was white. Yeah. I think so, too. <laughs> Which is... <sighs> no, I mean, I'll defend it a little bit in that McDermott was a really fluid scorer. And I like taking really fluid scorers in college. Um, but th- there was just no world in which he was going to be even an okay defender. Yeah. I don't know. Well, he just doesn't have. I feel like McDermott lacks a certain chutzpah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but whatever. Um, do you have any other bold thoughts? I want to see more sales. I would love for us yeah. to get high up enough in the draft to take one of these dope prospects. Yes. Uh, I love Trey Young. Would love to see him. We're not super far off right now. We're at 18 wins, and. Um, the Suns and Grizzlies are also at 18 wins with the Kings, Mavs. I want to pour one out for my Grizzlies bet. Magic Hawks. <laughs> Magic and Hawks all. Right on your floor. <laughs> it's, it's just, that's so depressing. Yeah. I mean, in my partial defense, when Conley was healthy, they were totally on pace to do it. Yeah. That, that's really what killed it. And then. And Chandler Parsons. Yeah. You know, that's. That's one of those ones that's just like... I think had they not fired Fisdale, they even could have made a run at it with Evans and Gasol. Yeah. I think once they canned Fisdale, it was like... Game over. It's just done. Sad. So I'm probably going to lose our bets, but we'll save that for another pod. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, we're up there. I want us to take Michael Porter. The, the guy who hurt his back at Missouri? Yeah, which sounds stupid, but he's basically... A 6'10", 6'11", super fluid scorer. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only reason he's not going to be... Like, he was the top prospect. You'd have to do a thorough medical exam, which the Bulls... Which frightens me. Have, they they have a long history of fucking <laughs> up. It's like the Sixers medical staff is far and away public enemy yeah. number one of, like, ligaments and yeah. <laughs> bones. But <laughs> the Bulls staff... Almost killing Luol Dang is is really up there for me. Yeah, and also I would say, like fucking up Derek Rose's ACL surgery too. Do you think they fucked it up, or they just you, you've made the point that they went with the uh, Chicago rush. the two for one guy instead? Yeah. Of the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> they got a nice deal. <laughs> yeah. No, I I I really believe that. scripting on the hundred million dollar ACL surgery. I really believe that. <laughs> Cause like, cause like, dude, there, there are athletes that, that like, think about like, who else can you name today 
who's had an ACL injury in the last, you know, like in the 20 teens and come back looking the way Derrick Rose looks. Yeah, like it probably didn't go well. You know, it, it's just like it's it's pretty inexcusable at this day and age with the quality of medicine that's out there in the world to to like have a second-rate ACL surgeon, you know, do Derrick Rose's knee. I would it's also say up. that um Derrick Rose's knee like exploded. Like he wasn't like a hit. Yeah. It like just combusted. Yeah, no, it's on like bad, impact. So bad tear. he like I'm of the opinion he was always going to get hurt. Mm-hmm. Like even if he hadn't decided to drive on that very play, it was going to happen at some point. Yeah. Whereas someone like you know Westbrook's knee that like Beverly dove into that obviously Beverly doesn't do that. He never gets hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, should we hit a let's hit a little LBJ summer stuff? We're already at an hour, so let's. Okay. Not yeah. do this for too long. Yeah. Um, we also have a, a very important stuff to talk about across the pond. We do. We're going to hit a little deadline day. I'll, I don't know if I want to throw it on this pot or make it its own little 30-minute thing, but we'll That's just talk. Yeah, yeah. We'll figure it out later. We could, we could take, a, take a little pause after, uh, um, after LBJ. Yeah, for sure. All right. Let's do – so LeBron James, I've been on record that I think he's going to the Rockets. You've been on record that you think he's going to the Spurs. Yep. What's fascinating for me is – there's no other player save for KD in the league. And you could argue Steph, although I think if you put Steph in the wrong environment, it, it wouldn't take. There's no other player that can take literally any team into contender status. Yeah. Um, and he is very available this summer, yeah. in my opinion. I think the two places he's been linked um, would make no sense for him to go to. And... Both times LeBron made a summer decision, he surprised people. Uh, so, like, I think he's very on the table. He'd be insane to stay in Cleveland. Yeah. With their cap sheet, the fact that Gilbert is running the team is frightening. Yeah. If I'm LeBron and I know I have five more years of a prime, hopefully. Um, you know, do you really want to keep playing with Kevin Love? IT is never going to be the same. Yeah. You're totally capped out, so they can't go sign other people. Yeah. That team is just a wasteland. And it, I'm, I, I'm sad for Cleveland's fans because he's going to break their heart a second time. But he gave that franchise two chances, and they've blown both. They got a ring this time. Great for them. Whatever. They blew it. He should leave. And I think he'd be insane to go to the Lakers. I mean, there's a world where – and the Lakers are definitely prepped for this – they cut bait with literally everything they have. They have a wide open book. They can get a lot of picks and get a lot of cool players by just like sending out their young guys. And like LeBron could basically build a team from scratch. But it's going to be like PG looks like he's kind of liking OKC. So yeah. even assume PG's on the table. Well, who's LeBron doing? Him, Paul George, and Marcus Cousins? Yeah. Coming off an Achilles tear at 250 pounds? Yeah. Like who? Not fantastic. And maybe you just build around the team around him, George, and a bunch of really nice role players. But I still feel like that's a way worse bet than the Spurs or the Rockets to contend. Yeah. And, and not to mention, like, I think that there's, there's something different about jumping in at the top of the West rather than, like, trying to build from the bottom and enter that race. Yeah. Like, I mean, we've talked about this a lot. Like, the West is fucking stacked. Like, next year, the Timberwolves will be better. Um, the Nuggets will definitely be better. I think that the Jazz will be much more feisty. Like, this year's been kind of weird for them with Rudy Gobert going up and down and all that, and Ricky Rubio's had too much time. Like, 
with Donovan Mitchell continuing to progress, um, like the Jazz, the Jazz have a good team and they'll be they'll be heard from. So anyway, my point is is that basically like to to take the Lakers who are currently in eleventh and fight out against the Jazz, Nuggets, Pelicans, who will still have Anthony Davis most likely unless. They cut yeah. bait with him over the summer. Trailblazers, Thunder, and Timberwolves, just to then get into the echelon with the Warriors, Rockets, and Spurs. It's insane. Seems crazy. If you're going to build a team from scratch, you should do it in the East. East, yeah. Which is why the 76ers has gotten some buzz, which is interesting. I, so that one's funny to me. I think, I said this in the other pod, it like speaks to how open it is that they would be on the table. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean... I, I think Embiid and Simmons are both stars, but... If LeBron goes there and Embiid is out for the year, which yeah. is an incredibly realistic possibility, it's just him and a 20-year-old. Yeah. 20-year-old he really likes and would like playing with, but a 20-year-old. And if, I made this point before. If he wasn't willing to wait on Wiggins when Wiggins came into the league, why would he be willing to wait on a 20-year-old now that he's five years older? Yeah. And I think, like, too, with the 76ers, like, that organization is suspect. I think, so like... Sus. I think I think that, like... <laughs> After being in the Cleveland wasteland and and also having experienced what it's like to be in a competent organization, that is a pull. Like, you want to go somewhere where, like, the owner, the GM, and the coach are all, like, competent people. So, like, honestly, like, I think the Heat could jump back into that conversation. I think there's some been there, done that. Yeah. I think that there does need to be a little bit of a narrative, which is why I think that the Spurs and the Rockets are compelling because both of those teams are sort of saying like my objective is to dethrone the greatest team that, that's ever yeah. been assembled. The catch 22 with going to the East because there's no good players there is there's no good players on any team for him to go on. Right. Yeah. Like who's the best guy he go partner up with in the East. It's Kyrie. like, <laughs> yeah, it's or, or Olympics. I mean, or DeRozan like there is, yeah, he's not going to the T-Dot. Yeah. That'd be, that'd be weird. He can't go to the Celtics either. He like it's impossible. For him his to go to the Celtics. I feel like one of the coolest moments of his career was when he assassinated the first big three yeah. in Boston in that game six on his way to his first finals. And I think there was that's like the first time I've seen him really hate a team. Yeah, like I think he dislikes the Warriors because they're in his way. I don't think he's anything against any of the Warriors. I think he hated the big three Celtics because they just okay. called him a pussy like the entire game. Yeah, um, I don't think he ever goes back to the Celtics. Impossible. Also, like the people of Boston, like fucking hate LeBron, and I think that they would might... love him in a second if he came here. Yeah, but I think that there's some weird like racial undertones there, and I think like I don't know. I I if I was LeBron, I would never come to Boston. Yeah. So, like, and then who does that leave? You know what I mean? If we're talking about the East, I mean, there's there's the Bucks with Giannis, which is. Kind of interesting. Milwaukee is like, why would he go play? Yeah, why go fucking play Milwaukee? He doesn't want to be in the cold if it's not Cleveland. You could go join Beal and Wall with the Wizards in DC, (laughs) as discussed. But then you've got Jan Mahinmi and Gortat (laughs) fucking up your cap. Oh my god! Now he's not. GM LeBron would tear his hair out. This is my theory. I think he is so frustrated with this Cleveland organization that he's really hell bent on finding a great GM. And a franchise that's on top of their shit. I think he is... He's gone from 
young LeBron to dad Bron, and now he's just sad Bron. <laughs> That's good. Did you coin that? Yeah, I did. Nice. Very nice. This is the sad Bron era. Like, he's out there with just these overpaid, crappy role players. They turned Kyrie Irving into a 5'8 guy with a broken hip. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like... I think he just wants to be in a stable place with really good players and make a serious run at, yeah. at Golden State. As well he should. Yeah. It, it's so depressing seeing him on this Cleveland team. It's very sad. Um, it's also sad that just, like, like wasting one of the last great LeBron seasons this way. And uh, one of the reasons... I'm trying to think who this was. There was some free agent meeting that the Rockets did. This is my biggest pitch on him eventually choosing the Rockets. Where, like, Daryl Morey was just meeting with a player and just, like, with the guy's team, just, it might have been Chris Paul or Iguodala, just sketched out, like, seven sign-and-trade possibilities. Just on paper, under the cap. And, like, the Rockets are always doing this really cool, like, team ad, team subtract shit right around the cap. Morey's a cap god. And yeah. I think LeBron re- will really appreciate that fact going to Houston. It's like, okay, not only does it have the stars I need to contend, but this isn't going to be a situation where in four years we have $70 million of J.R. Smith, Rinson Thompson, yeah. and whatever, and no picks and over the cap. Like, Maury, there's no one better suited than Maury to play around with a super team and add to it each year. Yeah. I think, like, I think that GM LeBron recognizes that his time is done. Yeah, he's... <laughs> I, it's not even, like, GM LeBron, it's, like... It's like no one was steering the ship. Like, like LeBron be like, "I want a playmaker," and they're just be like, uh, "Washed up, Darren Williams." Yeah, <laughs> just and like. like uh, did you hear that nugget about um, about uh, like, like I think it's worth like really diving into the autopsy of of like, uh, Griffin's firing. Mm-hmm. Like they had a three teamer on the table that was supposed to bring in. Oh, yeah, um, Bledsoe that. and Paul George. And, like, they fired Griffin with that deal, like, like being constructed. It's just like, what the fuck? That's an unbelievable, you know, fucking failure. So, I don't know, just looking through some other teams in the East, like, I mean, Indiana's kind of interesting, but he would never go to Indiana. Um, I mean, Blake's now on the Pistons. I don't think he'd ever go to Detroit. The Knicks, you know, the Knicks were a sexy pick in the in the early fall because of Perzingis and Nicotina and whatever. Um, yeah, all, I love the Knicks theory. All the same, I, I just, I don't see it. I, so, yeah, like, I, I talked about this in the pod. It's, like, not only was it so inept that they fired their guy in the middle of a three-team trade, it also cost him Kyrie. He demanded the trade because he was going to be sent to Phoenix. He's like, fuck this. Yeah. And for the record, that trade isn't being discussed that seriously if LeBron's not on board. So I don't think LeBron can be exonerated in Kyrie wanting to leave. Oh, no, no, definitely not. Um, definitely. But yeah, I, I agree with you. It's beyond the Rockets, and you know, I think while I make fun of your Spurs take, Pop's presence is enough. And R.C. Buford. You gotta, you gotta give some love to that guy, too. Um, I mean, he's been one of the best, like... Like, they'll get a meeting. They'll be on the table. Yeah. I mean, I think that R.C. Buford has been one of the best GMs in the league, bar none, um, in this era. And and I, I really do think that, like, looking at their salary cap situation, they've got moves to make. They've got, you know, people coming on and off the books. Like, yeah. I think that they, 
they've got a real competitive shot. I think my beyond like so as far as a dark horse pick, I think I mean I love the Knicks idea. Besides the Spurs and the Rockets, you mean? I think they I think the Rockets should be the favorite. I think the Spurs are on the table. Yeah. The Lakers are the favorite, but I think he'd be insane to go there. Yeah, no, I would say I would say for me, like if it, power ranking them right now, I would probably go um Rockets, Lakers, Spurs, with Lakers and Spurs being neck and neck. Um, I have yeah. a couple crazy ideas. Well, uh, well, I shouldn't say it that way. I like your Knicks idea. It'd be awesome. <laughs> and that's exactly the model you'd want, right? Like, superstar in Porzingis, LeBron plays the four, you fill out the rest of the roster with good pieces. Yeah. That team is capped out to hell. Yes. And they They're did so it, fucked. They did it so inexplicably, and they really could have made a competitive pitch to LeBron if they kept clean books. But they, I mean, like Noah literally was told to go away from the team until they could trade him, and then they realized they couldn't trade him. Yeah. I mean, but, I, I don't know how they thought they were going to trade him. It's three years, $54 million for a guy who's playing like two minutes a game. It's, it's it, unbelievable. Like, Jan Mahinmi's contract, I would argue, was a worse decision. Because how the fuck was he ever going to play with Gortat? Like, they literally paid it for a backup. Yeah. Like, at least Noah was supposed to be the starter. I mean, they blew the fact that he was broken. But I would pay that much money for Noah if I thought Noah was healthy. Um, but whatever. It, I think the Knicks are off the table because they should have so many bad contracts. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a huge lot. There's a lot of money invested in Tim Hardaway. Yeah. There's a lot of money invested in Courtney Lee. It's, a lot of they're money invested out. in Cantor. They, they literally can't. It's incredible. They'd have to give up thirty years of picks to move all those team, all those players. Yeah. Um, so that leaves, if you think about like big markets, that leaves Miami. Yeah, that's something. I feel like he's kind of done with Pat Riley. Yep. Um, and plus, they're another team that has a lot of people on the cap, and none of them are superstars. Um, then you're like Philadelphia is kind of a big market for the reasons I said. Only it works. The Nets are the Nets. He's not going to go there. He's never going to go to Boston. And you just start running out of options. What I think could be the crazy deal-breaker thing that like sends him somewhere bizarre is LeBron has stated his intentions very clearly. He wants to own a team. I think packaging himself with like an ownership stake would be really interesting. Like If he goes to the Clippers and he's like, look, Steve Ballmer, I will sign with you guys. I will play the rest of my career here. Give me a third of your team. Or give me half of the team. Now, Ballmer doesn't just bought the team. He wouldn't want to sell. It's a bad example for that reason. But you could make the argument that having LeBron would almost add that value back to the franchise in a way. Or add a lot of it back. Um, and I think that's the kind of that's the way LeBron thinks more than I want to go play with this star. He's good. LeBron is trying to be, like, he wants to own a team someday. He's trying to be a mogul. He's trying to be what Magic Johnson did after his career, during his career. So I think if someone, like, packaged, like, like, I think he would love to stay on the Cavs and own the team. Yeah, I mean, that's that's Why would Gilbert give him that deal? (laughs) That's going to be one of those, like, weird wink and a a nod things, but... Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if that's happening anytime soon. Anyway. I think it's Rockets or Spurs. I mean, I guess you go to the Lakers and, like, build the team. Yeah. I just, I don't, I mean, with LeBron, anything's possible, but you're totally right. The idea that even a LeBron, Paul George, and Boogie 
threesome with nice role players, that's a big mountain of great teams in the West to climb. Yeah. The the Warrior story is a joke. Yeah, the Warrior story is an absolute joke. Um, cool. You have any other NBA takes? Um, let me think about that for a second. Do you have any <laughs> NBA takes? No, I, I got all my uh, I got all my points out. David Nwamba. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done. Uh, I'll just I'll just say one of one of the best parts of this season for me has been watching uh, Donovan Mitchell come into his own. I think he's he's everything that was promised about Dennis Smith, but in a much more like compelling way to watch. Yeah, so like I my sincere hope for for the NBA or my sincere hope for for just professional basketball over the next couple of years is that the, that this jazz project goes well. I really want to see them develop into an interesting yeah. team. I mean Mitchell so Mitchell's I think it's, I'm pretty sure it's Wade. He was like being mentored by Wade for a number of years and Wade was like this guy has no ceiling. That's where he's put himself. Huh. And I think his ceiling is Dwayne Wade with a three-point shot. That'd be amazing. <laughs> Which is like Dwayne Wade in his prime was an elite defender, huge big play guy, got through him whenever he wanted, set everyone else up. Yeah. And it's kinda easy to forget because his knees haven't been the same in eight years, but um that's where Mitchell could go. Yeah. Um all right. That does it for the NBA part. Uh let's do the I'll end up re recording the fucking outro. Okay. Let's do the uh let's do some deadline stuff. Actually right. let me let me Great. pause this and just yeah, like bank it. That does it for my uh, NBA podcast, Nick One. It was a fun one. It was a very fun one. Um, keep an eye out also. I just put out a NFL Super Bowl preview podcast because the Super Bowl is tomorrow. Um, and then look ahead to next week or soon thereafter, uh, Brandon Daly, who was on with Sean in that kind of uh, callings podcast we did. Brandon Daly put out his album, um, Boy on a Hill. It's an exceptional album, um, and we were fortunate to, me and Sean, sit down with him and like go over like everything he was thinking about the whole album, um, song by song. So that podcast should come out this week or next, so keep an eye out for that. Otherwise, be on the lookout for some, uh, some more NBA stuff and the soccer pile with me and Nick coming on Monday. Um, all right, take care.